Welcome to the Choose You Now podcast. I'm your host, Juliana Hever. Dr. Wendy Walsh takes the latest science of love and turns it into news you can use to improve your intimate relationships. Whether the topic is finding love by navigating dating apps, keeping love by introducing novelty and better communication skills, or coping after a divorce or loss, Dr. Wendy has the data and practical advice on how to do it the healthy way. She's been the host of the Dr. Wendy Walsh Show on iHeartRadio for the last six years. She's written three books on relationships and also the host of the podcast, Mating Matters. During the pandemic, when people suffered the most isolation, she blew up on social media and has nearly 2 million followers. Listen how America's relationship expert chooses herself and helps others navigate love and life. So recently, I was having lunch with a very dear friend of mine, and I was telling her about my latest dating drama. (laughs) She's been there through all of it with me vis-a-vis relationships. And that day, she said to me, you need to check out my amazing friend, Dr. Wendy Walsh. And I went home and did so, and I fell absolutely in love with you and your content. You are overflowing with exuberance, wisdom, and practical advice. So I am beyond excited to speak with you today. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, I'm so happy to be here. It's my favorite topic, the science of love. Yes. you. I've heard you say that you've been through literally everything in relationships that could happen negatively, all the traumatic bonds. And me too, by the way. So that made me feel a lot better when I heard you say that. But this is what led you to getting your master's and PhD and to specialize in attachment theory. And now you are known as America's thought leader on relationships. Can you share a little bit about your extraordinary journey? Sure. Well, um, in a nutshell, I want you to listen carefully with an ear for attachment injuries. Well, I'll tell you my elevator pitch of my life. Um, I was a Navy brat and went to 10 different schools by the time I graduated high school, uh, leaving a lot of people behind. My dad was gone at sea in the Navy, and so I didn't get to witness a model for a healthy relationship. My model of love was mixed with longing and loss. And so when I entered my adult romantic life, I loved long distance relationships. I loved people who had an emotionally avoidant style. And I also believed on some deep level, this is not conscious, unconsciously, that I didn't deserve good, secure love because I'd never experienced it. You know, happiness is terrifying if you haven't had it before. And so having experienced every kind of relationship possible, ones that involved financial abuse, domestic violence, um, sorry to say, rape as a teenager, hope I didn't trigger anybody. Um, When I settled, settled down to nurse my own babies in my 30s, I made a commitment that I would do something different for my daughters. So I went to therapy, spent, oh, 12 years there. And uh, also went back to graduate school and got a master's and PhD. And I specialize in the science of attachment, the ways people attach across the lifespan. And we have to understand that our attachment style is not a character flaw. It's not even a conscious decision we make. It is something that our brain, a sort of model for love that our brain made, that's a faulty model for love often for many people. Can you explain that a little further? What does that mean? So... 
you know, during the first three years of life, you, well, you come into the world, first of all, with a genetic predisposition to attach. Some babies need lots of closeness and holding and loving and others feel easily engulfed and wrapped too tight and bottles shoved down their mouth and blah, 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 too much. So you have this genetic predisposition for genes around anxiety or not. And then during the first three years of life, in the first year, in fact, your brain triples in size and it starts to make assumptions about love, that care will be there for you that love can be trusted, that caregivers can be trusted. And so one baby with a gene for anxiety may be lying in a crib and get a wet diaper and start to cry. And the really attuned parent will be there immediately to pick them up and love them and change them. Another baby may be lying there with a hungry tummy and a wet diaper and maybe cold because they've kicked the blankets off. And that parent might have read a book that said, oh, let them cry it out. It's good for their lungs. Or maybe that, a parent is too, that parent is too overwhelmed with emotion. So they've gone into a sort of suppressed avoidance stage. And as a result, that baby may grow up to have a lot of anxiety and fear around attachment and love. Or take the baby that grew up with a gene to be pretty damn independent, but they have a parent who is overly intrusive, wrapping them too tight, fussing over them, stuffing a bottle in their mouth when they weren't even hungry. And they grow up to believe that love is engulfing, it's smothering, it must be avoided at all costs. Now, it's a big scale, of course, just like gender, right? Nobody falls neatly into one little category, but we have a scale. We would like to think that you can learn, and it's true, you can learn, how to have a secure attachment, how to give love and receive love comfortably, how to have a backbone for shame and be able to say the words, I'm sorry, it's my fault to your partner and not lose yourself, to not get defensive, to be able to really genuinely just love. And that can be learned. Wow. So it's not your destiny the way you start out. Absolutely not. I am in a very secure relationship right now, and it, people ask me to describe what it feels like, especially those who've had um, an anxious attachment style or an avoidant attachment style, and I say that my old relationships used to feel like roller coasters or crazy butterflies in my stomach, and this relationship just feels like peace. It just feels safe. Oh, I love that. That's so encouraging. Thank you for sharing that. I love your evolutionary perspective. And like in diet, which is what I teach, um, this, you know, it, it helps to bring context and to make these really complicated ideas like love and relationships, like simpler and more logical when you look at it from this perspective. And you talk about human mating strategy and how it feels like a game. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I mean, we're wired to bond. We're walking around in ancient DNA that is behaving exactly like our hunter-gatherer ancestors behaved. And so we are wired to bond because it's good for our mental and physical health. It's also good for raising offspring. And even if you aren't planning to reproduce, the same bonding mechanisms are in place. So mating strategy involves competing against other same-sex mates for uh, attractive mates. It means attracting a mate. It means retaining that mate, protecting them from mate poachers coming in. It can be quite treacherous. And it can also mean expelling a mate that's not good for your survival or the survival of your offspring. So when people say to me things, these generalizations like, is monogamy natural? I'm like, well, yeah, 
for as long as it takes to get kids up, up and out of the nest. And back in our hunter-gatherer past, that took about 12 years. The idea of a 30 to 40 or 50 year marriage is a little crazy for our DNA. Um, so what is natural for, while we have the widest range of sexual behavior of any primate species, what the dominant selector is a lifestyle of serial monogamy. Um, so that in between that time of, uh, you know, when after you've expelled a mate, um, there's a time of mate selection. And this is why we have dating groups across the lifespan. So fascinating, right? We don't think about it like that. We're socialized to believe that it should just be forever and that do yeah, that's part. patriarchy. That's patriarchy, right? So when men wanted to own and control women's bodies, because that was so much easier than going out and trying to get another woman to mate with you. <laughs> oh. um, and by the way, men, as we know, have two distinct mating strategies that they've inherited. One is spread your seed and the other is focus on one and the offspring that come from that nest. Guess which mating strategy is more productive in terms of reproduction for men, if you had to guess? To spread their seed. Wouldn't you think that, right? Yeah. Listen, so if you stay with one woman, the most babies you can make is about one a year, right? That's pretty much all her body can do. Now, if you're spreading your seed, you have to convince many women to mate with you. But here's the tricky part. During 27 days of the month, they're not fertile. We're one of the few species that has concealed fertility, meaning you can't tell when she's ovulating. Sometimes she doesn't even know when she's ovulating. So how many women do you have to entice to have sex with you in a given calendar year to meet the same rate as a monogamous man? That is one baby a year. Take a guess. Oh, I don't know. 33 women. Wow. You know who gets to do that? Actors, athletes, guys with their A game. Regular guys, they know. They know what's up. They get a woman who will be attracted to them and will stay with them. They know they got a good thing. Fascinating. Fascinating. Okay. So you also make this brilliant comparison between the slow food movement and the slow love movement. And I always talk about hyper palatable foods, you know, sugar, fat, salt that we, and you, you say that it, they were trace nutrients, but vital. Mm -hmm. uh, can you, can you explain about this? Cause I think this is such a really fascinating and clever connection. Right. Junk food sex. So um, in our anthropological past, these vital trace nutrients like salt, sugar, and fat were necessary for our survival, but pretty hard to come by. And in fact, the entire slave trade and the enslavement of people happened because of that desire for sugar, right? So now in, in our anthropological past, as far as mate selection was concerned, a good mate was also trace, kind of hard to find. During our entire lifespan, we probably never laid eyes on more than 150 humans, and most of them were related to us. So when a new hunter would come into the encampment, we would get very excited. We would sit up straight. It would be very exciting for us to mate with them. Now, fast forward. Our fast food industry has filled these addictive uh, things that we crave in our food, salt, sugar, and fat. And now our mating biology is tricked by crowded subways, crowded nightclubs, crowded offices, crowded dating apps, and a new mate is a th th potentially thousands of new mates are available to us every single day. Junk food sex is just like junk food, may not be good for our mental and physical health, 
but it's something we crave. You also talk about the, you know, the differences between genders and that and like sexual needs and all of that. Can you kind of talk a little bit about that? Well, I want to make it clear that there aren't two genders. There's quite a scale and there always have been from the history of our species. But when I talk, I talk about biological sex. So assuming that someone has an XX chromosome, which would make them biological female and somebody else an XY chromosome that would make them biological male. And even within those categories, there is some gender diversity. Um, But uh, let me just say that sex is a much higher risk hobby for women. Because of women's unique biology, we are more likely to contract an STI. We are more likely to fall in love because our bodies emit so much oxytocin, the bonding hormone during sex. In fact, the only other time in a woman's life where she emits that much oxytocin is when she's breastfeeding to bond with her baby. And also women are more likely through sex to contract an 18 year case of parenthood. (laughs) So as a result, we have to be choosy. We have to practice slow love because the risks are still there. Now we may have preventing some of the risks through birth control and through condoms, but that doesn't prevent the risk of a broken heart. Mm. Okay. With all of that background, what are some of your top tips to have a healthy romantic relationship? Well, first of all, figure out what your relationship life plan is. You know, people plan everything in life. They plan their education, they plan their careers, they plan their finances, they plan their weddings, but they don't actually plan their relationship life plan. I want to be very clear. Right now in America, there are more women in the American workforce than men. The feminization of college campuses has been going on for a couple decades. For every two men that graduate college, there are three women. However, we have a fertility window that men just don't have. Although new research is showing that paternal age is highly correlated with autism. However, uh, women are eating up big chunks of their fertility window, getting educated, getting educated and building their careers. So they have to make a decision. When are they going to go mate shopping? And when are they going to, I hear women say all the time, well, you know, if it happens, if it happens for me, if I happen to meet the right person, And I go, things just didn't happen. Your education didn't just happen. Your career didn't just happen. You decided this is the year I'm going to do it. And so I think people need to be unashamed to have a game plan. Now, that game plan may be, I do not want a traditional marriage. I want to freeze my eggs or I want to save enough money to be a single mother. Knock yourself out. It's a hard walk, but go for it if that's what you want. Figure out your relationship plan instead of sitting around going, if it happens, if what happens, do you know what you want? Do you know when you wanted? Do you know what kind of partner you want? And I also tell a lot of successful women who are waiting around for that quote unquote alpha male that maybe their needs are not about a provider. Maybe their needs will be to have a best friend who helps with the household and whose idea of a power move is to power a stroller, right? So I want people to think about what their needs are and think when they need to meet those needs and think how they're going to go about and do it. Okay. So once you have that plan and you find your partner, what are some tips to have and foster and maintain a really healthy relationship? And let me go back a little bit because you really brushed over that find a partner. Uh, you have to understand <laughs> right. that True. in any given mating marketplace, there are people looking for short-term relationships and long-term relationships. And the best way to find a short-term relationship (laughs) is to pretend like you're looking for a long-term relationship. 
i.e. the Tinder swindler. So what we need to do in the mating marketplace is slow things down so that we can assess our mates better and also be very clear about what we're looking for. So I tell women to say in the first two or three texts on a dating app, by the way, I'm clearly looking to be married in the next two years. If we're not a good match for that, swipe left, move along, buddy. I'm cool with that. Wow. And the women are like shocked that I say to say that. (laughs) I would say the two women in my life who've done exactly what I said are married now and have kids. So what that does is it's a process of elimination. It's not a process of finding the one. It's a process of getting rid of those other thousand as quickly as possible before your fertility window closes. So it's about elimination, elimination, elimination. And then the last man standing is perfection for you. Um, men have to make these same decisions because there are girls out there looking for a short-term relationship or not really having the relationship skills and tools to have a healthy relationship or be a good mother. You need to be selective. So having said that, now you're in this relationship, what are some tips to keep it alive? There are three things that I think couples can do that's very important. First of all, learn to have healthy conflict resolution skills. We know, according to research, there are a number of things that you can do in conflict that will just lead you directly to divorce court. And if your family of origin taught you those patterns, then you've got to learn how to change it. The research shows that healthy couples actually have a lot of conflict. They have a lot of, um, I call them border skirmishes on a regular basis. So they avoid the big wars because they're constantly negotiating and renegotiating their boundaries. Second thing is, Talk about your expectations for a sex life. Don't expect that what happens in the first year of your relationship will be your sex life in year 10. Um, But having your expectations means figuring out ways to add novelty and excitement and indeed scheduling sex. Talk about it. Don't expect anything to be spontaneous in a long-term relationship. Uh, Third, constantly renegotiate your contract. You know, the healthiest relationships allow space for individuals to grow separately, but not apart. Um, So ask yourself, does your partner make you a better person? Does your partner introduce you to new ideas and new places and new things that you wouldn't have if you didn't have your partner? Does your partner compensate for the weak spots in your brain and be a great compliment to you? We want to be able to grow as individuals. And if our partner helps us do that and both do to each other, all the better. And if I had to say one more thing, it would be continue to dream and plan and hope. The healthiest couples revisit the earliest days of their romance regularly. They talk about their first date. And remember when we took that weekend getaway, honey, remember when we did that? But they also talk about where we're going. What are the hopes and dreams? What are we planning for? What are we creating together? I love that so much. Thank you. That kind of begs a question then, because the topic of this podcast, of course, is about choosing yourself, right? And about taking care of yourself so that you could be your best person in relationship and out in the world. How do you choose yourself in a relationship? Or what are your thoughts about that connection? Well, I do not think that another person is responsible for your happiness. I think that happiness is baggage you need to drag into your relationship with you because you're going to need to unpack it from time to time. If you believe that someone else will complete you, that someone else will make you happy, that all your problems will go away if you could just meet the right person, 
you are completely misguided. The work is to become whole, to practice self-love, and that isn't selfishness. That's knowing where your boundaries are so that you can say no to people who hurt you. And then bringing that self-esteem and self-love into a relationship with you that's absolutely contagious. Mm, beautiful. How do you, do you have any suggestions for how to do so? Well, of course, I believe everybody should be the, since I'm the beneficiary of good therapy, <laughs> I would say that if you have not tried psychotherapy, you probably should. If you find that you've been dating the same kind of people over and over, they're wearing different shirts and driving different cars, but basically you feel the same in each relationship, then you're choosing them. And you have to ask yourself why you're choosing those kind of people. Yes. I am a big advocate for therapy. Uh, very helpful. Okay. So, Wendy, if you don't mind answering how you personally choose yourself. How I choose myself. Um, well, I'm at a certain age now where I own my word no. And, mm. you know, when, when people are young especially, or if they've come from families that didn't teach them to respect their feelings and have boundaries, they think if they say no to somebody – Either that person will abandon them or the person will get mad at them. But I actually believe that the word no is sometimes a gift of pain that we need to give somebody. There are too many people, especially in Los Angeles and in the entertainment industry, who live in the land of no-nos, who are searching for boundaries. And I also believe that if you have clear boundaries and say no, not in an angry way, you can say it in a loving way, like, oh, I'm sorry, I can't do that. I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> that's not my policy, right? If you say it like that, then the person has to make a decision. Is this person now super attractive because they have self-confidence or am I going to leave because I can't manipulate them? Mm. And when they leave, you should do the touchdown cheer. What a gift. That's really well stated. Thank you so much. Where can everyone find you? Because I can't recommend your amazing social media highly enough. Thank you. Well, I am on social everywhere at Dr. Wendy Walsh, at Dr. Wendy Walsh. But I'm most excited in the last few months, I launched a Patreon, which is a private community with exclusive Zoom rooms and online classes. And my podcast is there. My books are there. My blogs are there. Everything is now on patreon.com slash Dr. Wendy Walsh. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash Dr. Wendy Walsh. And I am loving meeting my Patreons one-on-one -on -one in Zoom rooms and in teaching classes during the week. And it's like, it's my private community. And people, people will come onto the Zoom rooms and they're like, is it really you? Are you really here? I'm like, yes, you're my people. That's why I'm here. <laughs> Fantastic. I can't thank you enough for all of your work and for spending some time with us here today. Thank you so much. It's my pleasure. I cannot recommend Dr. Wendy Walsh's social media highly enough. It is so much fun and it is such great information and it may very well change your life and your relationships. If you are inspired and enjoy the Choose You Now podcast, become a member of our Patreon page, patreon.com slash choose you now, p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash choose you now to have access to exclusive content, including Dr. Wendy Walsh's top tips for great sex. Please subscribe to the show, rate and review us on iTunes, and send us an email with questions and comments at chooseyounowpodcast at gmail.com. 
for nutrition services and more information, visit me at plantbaseddietitian.com. I invite you to choose yourself now, and I'm signing off with lots of leafy green love.